Welcome to conference coverage highlights presented by ReachMD on XM160 and powered by Health Day. Conference coverage highlights features the latest clinical information and research findings from the American Heart Association Scientific Sessions 2009. The meeting took place November 14th through the 18th in Orlando, Florida. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Kina. And I'm your co-host, Sue Berg. Over 20,000 attendees came to this year's meeting from around the world. The meeting featured a new organizational scheme aimed at fostering interaction between different disciplines of cardiology. According to this year's program chair, seven cardiovascular cores, ranging from cardiovascular imaging to epidemiology and prevention to genomics and congenital cardiovascular disorders, were strategically located throughout the convention center. At past conventions, basic scientists were at one end of the convention center and clinicians at the other. This year's configuration was an attempt to reproduce how people interact with each other in the real world by including basic scientists, clinicians, and translational and population scientists within each of these cores. Meeting highlights included the presentation of 32 late-breaking studies. In one such study, the clopidogrel after surgery for coronary artery disease randomized controlled trial, known as CASCADE, researchers randomly assigned 113 coronary artery bypass grafting patients to receive either aspirin alone or aspirin plus clopidogrel. After a year, aspirin alone was found to be just as effective at keeping grafts open as the combination therapy. The patency rates one year after surgery for the aspirin-only group and the aspirin plus clopidogrel group were about 93% and 94% respectively. The study's senior author said in a statement that patients and their doctors can expect more than 90% of vein grafts to remain open one year after surgery with the use of aspirin and statins. But he said this study does not advance new medical therapies for the cardiac surgery field. It's been more than 10 years since the last medical advancement for bypass grafts, which was a study showing that statin therapy helps keep vein grafts open. The study was partly supported by Bristol Myers Squibb Sanofi Canada. Two authors reported financial relationships with the company. Another trial looked at six different platelet tests in order to predict which patients at the time of percutaneous coronary intervention will have resistance to clopidogrel. The researchers on this trial found that three of the tests were effective in predicting patients that would have problems, while three of the tests were ineffective. The trial, known as POPULAR, looked at whether platelet function assays predict clinical outcomes in clopidogrel pretreated patients undergoing elective PCI. Six different tests of platelet reactivity were compared in over 1,000 patients who underwent stent replacement. The primary endpoint was a composite of all-cause death, heart attack, urgent revascularization, stroke, or stent thrombosis. After one year, investigators found that the patients who had high platelet reactivity on the following three tests, light transmittance aggregometry, verify now P2Y12 cartridge, and the platelet works assay, had about a 12% risk of mortality or cardiovascular events. This was double the risk compared to patients who had low platelet reactivity. The lead author of the study noted in a statement that platelet reactivity testing is used primarily as a research tool, and only a minority of centers routinely uses platelet reactivity testing to guide therapy. These findings may indicate platelet reactivity could be on the brink of becoming a clinical tool. In another late-breaking trial, a new analysis of TREAT, the trial to reduce cardiovascular events with Aronesp therapy, Researchers reported that treatment with the anemia drug darbopoietin alpha has more risks than benefits in diabetic patients with kidney disease, anemia, or a history of cardiovascular disease or stroke. The risk of the primary endpoint, a composite of death or cardiovascular events, was significantly higher in treated patients than in those who received placebo. 
Earlier results of the trial showed that the use of darbopoietin and alpha to raise hemoglobin levels in patients with type 2 diabetes, chronic kidney disease, and moderate anemia reduced the need for blood transfusion. The study's lead author said in a statement that this trial underscores the importance of placebo-controlled trials to assess risks as well as benefits, and this added new data will help physicians and patients make more informed decisions about the use of erythropoiesis-stimulating agents. The study was supported by Amgen. Dr. Pfeffer reported financial relationships with Amgen and other pharmaceutical companies. Two studies were presented on the comparative antiplatelet activities of tecagrelor versus clopidogrel. In one study, investigators studied the effects of tecagrelor versus clopidogrel in 41 clopidogrel non-responders and 57 control responders. They found that tecagrelor was associated with superior platelet inhibition in both non-responders and responders and that the drug overcame non-responsiveness to clopidogrel. The same group of researchers conducted a second study on the effects of tecagrelor versus clopidogrel in 123 patients with stable coronary artery disease taking aspirin. The investigators found that tecagrelor appeared to exhibit superior platelet inhibition to clopidogrel. Further, tecagrelor had a faster offset after drug cessation. Several of the authors of this study reported financial and consulting relationships with AstraZeneca. According to research presented at the meeting and published online in the New England Journal of Medicine to coincide with the meeting, early repolarization in the inferior leads of a standard electrocardiogram is associated with an increased long-term risk of cardiovascular death in middle-aged patients. Researchers in Finland studied over 10,000 patients averaging 44 years of age. An early repolarization pattern of 0.1 millivolts or more was observed in 5.8% of patients. During an average follow-up of 30 years, subjects with a J-point elevation of at least 0.1 millivolts in inferior leads had an increased risk of death from cardiac causes. Those with a J-point elevation of more than 0.2 millivolts in inferior leads had an increased risk of death from cardiac causes and arrhythmia. Also, early repolarization was a stronger predictor of death from cardiac causes than a prolonged QT interval corrected for heart rate or left ventricular hypertrophy. The study authors conclude from this community-based study that J-point elevation in the inferior leads on standard electrocardiography is not an innocuous finding in middle-aged subjects. They write that future clinical and experimental studies should focus on understanding the exact mechanisms and reasons for this pattern and ultimately on devising strategies to prevent premature death from cardiac causes in subjects with this pattern. One author reported grant support from Instrumentarium Science Foundation and Orion Pharmos Science Foundation. Findings were presented from three studies on diet and cardiovascular disease risk. In one study, investigators looked at whether changes in dietary fat, cholesterol, fruit and vegetable intake, and alcohol intake over one year were independently associated with change in inflammatory and lipid biomarkers of cardiovascular risk. Researchers looked at 501 family members of patients with cardiovascular disease. Increased fruit, vegetable, and omega-3 consumption was associated with decreased high-sensitivity C-reactive protein. Decreased consumption of saturated and trans fat was associated with decreased total and low-density lipoprotein cholesterol. In a second study, investigators analyzed data on 459 patients with pre- or stage 1 hypertension. Patients were randomized to one of three diets, a control group, a diet rich in fruits and vegetables, or the DASH diet, short for Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension, which is low-fat, low-cholesterol, rich in fruits and vegetables, and limits red meat and sugar. 
Compared to the control and fruit and vegetable groups, DASH decreased estimated 10-year CHD risk by 18% and 11% respectively. In the third study, 71 patients with metabolic syndrome were randomly assigned to either a low-fat or a moderate-fat diet to assess which dietary intervention would better improve cardiovascular disease risk. LDL cholesterol in patients on the low-fat diet fell more than three times as much as for patients on the moderate-fat diet. However, patients on the low-fat diet also decreased their HDL cholesterol by almost 5 milliliters per deciliter, more than twice the decrease seen in patients on the moderate-fat diet. Triglyceride levels increased on the low-fat diet 11 milligrams per deciliter, while the moderate-fat diet was associated with a drop of over 28 milligrams per deciliter. The study's authors conclude that for patients with metabolic syndrome, a moderate-fat diet is a preferable dietary intervention to improve cardiovascular disease risk. Research was presented on Cangrelor compared to Clopidogrel or placebo in patients undergoing percutaneous coronary intervention. The study was published online November 15th in the New England Journal of Medicine to coincide with this meeting. Researchers randomly assigned over 5,000 patients who had not been treated with clopidogrel to receive either cangrelor or placebo during percutaneous coronary intervention, followed by 600 milligrams of clopidogrel. The primary endpoint was a composite of death, myocardial infarction, or ischemia-driven revascularization. At 48 hours, investigators found that 7% of patients receiving cangrelor experienced the primary endpoint compared to 8% of patients who received placebo. Authors concluded that the use of periprocedural cangrelor during PCI was not superior to placebo in reducing the primary endpoint. In a second study, investigators randomly assigned either cangrelor or clopidogrel to over 8,700 patients undergoing percutaneous coronary intervention. The primary point in this study was the same as in the first study. At 48 hours, investigators found no significant difference between cangrelor and clopidogrel in the primary endpoint. The difference was 7.5 versus 7.1%. Both studies were supported by the medicines company. Several authors reported financial relationships with it and other pharmaceutical companies. Another study looked at use of proton pump inhibitors in patients who undergo percutaneous coronary intervention with drug-eluting stents. Researchers conducted a retrospective cohort study of over 8,000 patients who underwent PCI with drug-eluting stents and were followed for two years. 17% of those patients were taking proton pump inhibitors. During the two-year follow-up period, 602 patients died. After comparing multivariable adjusted hazard ratios between PPI users and non-users, the researchers found an increased risk of all-cause mortality with proton pump inhibitor use. Of the PPI brands evaluated, the risk of death increased significantly for those taking omeprazole and pantoprazole, but not in patients taking isomeprazole and lansoprazole. The authors found that proton pump inhibitor use was associated with a non-significant increased risk of 30-day stent thrombosis and target lesion revascularization following PCI. Two co-authors of this study reported financial relationships with pharmaceutical companies. In another study, researchers also looked at African-American patients with coronary heart disease to assess the effect of stress-reducing transcendental meditation on the rate of heart attack. Among African Americans, atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death. Researchers randomly assigned 201 African American men and women with coronary artery disease to either a transcendental meditation program or a traditional health education program. After five years, the meditation program was associated with a 43% risk reduction for all-cause mortality, myocardial infarction, and stroke compared to patients who did not practice meditation.
Researchers in Hong Kong have found that in patients with bradycardia, normal ejection fraction, conventional right ventricular pacing is associated with reduced left ventricular ejection fraction and adverse left ventricular remodeling compared to biventricular pacing. 177 patients with biventricular pacemakers were randomly assigned to receive either right ventricular apical pacing or biventricular pacing. After 12 months, the researchers found that the biventricular pacing group had a higher mean left ventricular ejection fraction of 62.2 compared with a 54.8 in the right ventricular pacing group. The biventricular pacing group also had a significantly lower left ventricular end systolic volume of 27.6 milliliters versus 35.7 milliliters in the right ventricular pacing group. The biventricular pacing group was also significantly less likely to have ejection fractions of less than 45%. An accompanying editorial published in the New England Journal of Medicine stated that the study should not change current guidelines. The editorial said an alternative approach is to follow the patients carefully with annual echocardiograms and convert patients to biventricular pacing systems only if there is a clinically significant change in left ventricular function or functional capacity. The study was supported by Medtronic. Several authors reported financial relationships with the company. Significant research presented at the meeting suggests that adjunctive therapy with niacin is superior to therapy with azetamibe in patients at high risk for cardiovascular disease. This research was published online in the New England Journal of Medicine to coincide with the meeting. Dr. Alan J. Taylor of the Walter Reed Army Medical Center in Washington, D.C., and colleagues randomly assigned patients on statin therapy for coronary heart disease or coronary heart disease risk equivalent to receive either extended-release niacin or azetamibe for 14 months. 208 patients completed the trial before it was stopped early because the primary endpoint was met. Investigators found that niacin increased HDL levels by almost 18.5% and also reduced levels of LDL cholesterol and triglycerides. Azetamibe was associated with a mean reduction in LDL of about 19%. However, patients taking azetamibe had increased carotid intima media thickness, while patients taking niacin had decreased thickness. The rate of major cardiovascular events in the azetamibe group was 5%, compared to 1% in the niacin group. An accompanying editorial in the New England Journal of Medicine said that niacin cannot be conclusively declared the adjunctive agent of choice due to the early termination of the trial, the small number of patients studied, and the limited duration of follow-up. This study was supported by Abbott, and several authors reported financial relationships with Abbott or other pharmaceutical companies. Thank you for listening to conference coverage highlights from the American Heart Association Scientific Sessions 2009, which took place November 14th through the 18th in Orlando, Florida. Conference coverage highlights is a presentation of ReachMD Radio, broadcast on XM160 and by live stream at ReachMD.com, and powered by Health Day.